Hello and welcome. I'm Sophie Kilbert and I'm a client advisor in the UK wealth management business of Rothschild & Co. And today I'm really pleased that we're joined by Owain Dool. <coughs> Owain is a professional cyclist on Team Ineos and a gold medal holder from the men's team pursuit in Rio 2016 Olympics. We'll be talking today a little bit about what Owain has achieved to this point and what he's needed to get there as well as talking about the current situation with the COVID-19 virus and how that's affected him to deal with reshaping and resetting his goals this year. I'm also pleased to say that Owain and his team have kindly donated their speaker fee for today's recording to the NHS. So thank you very much for that. Now, Owain, it's not often that you get to speak to a gold medal holder. So if you don't mind indulging me a little bit, can we take you back to, to Rio four years ago um, and talk a little bit about how it felt to actually be at the Olympic Games? Was it always one of your dreams to get there? Yeah, so from um, a very young age, I guess, uh, from when I first started cycling, it was always kind of the ambition to go to an Olympic Games and then as you kind of get further through the, the British cycling program, you start to kind of dream a little bit bigger than just going to the games and having that goal of trying to win the Olympics. Um, so then, yeah, then to first of all, kind of achieve the selection. I think that came about 50 days before the games. I found out I was going to be going, which is a, a massive thing for me. And then to ultimately then go and go and win was, yeah, it was, I, I say it was a lifetime um, of work towards it, but you know, it, I was 23 at the time um, and I'd kind of been pursuing it properly since I was 18. So it wasn't that long, but it still felt like a lot of work to get to that point. And um, yeah, I think whatever I do with the rest of my career, I think I'll always struggle to, to top that high of winning my first Olympic gold medal. Yeah. So does it feel like it came a bit early in your career almost to achieve such highs? Yeah, for sure. Like I said, you know, when I Obviously, when you're quite young and you're setting up your, your ambitions of what you want to achieve with your career and stuff, you kind of, that 23 was a bit, what do I do now? <laughs> um, and you were on the team and won your gold medal alongside Sir Bradley Wiggins, who I understand was one of your heroes and a, and a personal mentor as well. How did it feel to be selected alongside him? Yeah, it was, um, it was... It's hard to describe because on, on one hand, it was a massive privilege. On the other, it's quite daunting. Um, mm -hmm. So for the Team Pursuit event, there's the four of us, and obviously we work in unison to try and finish the distance in the best time possible. Um, so to, to be lining up with, obviously, Brad, who's achieved everything, doesn't need much introduction. Also, Ed Clancy, who was a double Olympic gold medalist in that event from Beijing and London, and then Stephen Burke, who'd won the Team Pursuit in London as well, you know kind of almost the run to the litter um so it's it's yeah it's, it's daunting obviously because you're kind of the, the new person who's getting brought into this squad um the you know the inexperienced person so you, do, you, do, you don't want to let them down um so on one hand it's daunting at that but then also if you're going into an olympic final there's there's no better three guys to have alongside you so um yeah it was strange and then yeah more specifically on brad i guess obviously when I first kind of got into cycling and I first started watching track cycling and started getting a bit of a, a, a buzz for it and more of an interest in it was around Beijing time when Brad won two gold medals at the Beijing Olympics on the track. Um, and then kind of as, as I was kind of going through the junior ranks and seeing what he was doing in 2012, winning the tour and yeah, kind of just being in awe of him. And then obviously with, um, with the games, the two years before that, Brad formed his own team, Team Wiggins, which 
I was fortunate enough to join. Um, so got to know Brad really well. And yeah, like you say, he almost became a bit of a mentor towards me, which was, um, yeah, I never thought that would be the way it would pan out. And it must be amazing to, to learn alongside those people who had so much experience and, and so much to teach you. Yeah, I, I just felt over just massively privileged and, and, and fortunate. You know, I think that's also one of the reasons why British cycling is so successful, because the depth of talent and experience there across all squads, it just kind of it, it pulls everyone up. And it's, you know, some people will give you more kind of hands on advice. But just being in that environment, you kind of learn a lot just by watching and, and, and following what they do. Hmm. And what was the atmosphere like out in Rio? I mean, particularly after you'd you'd won your medal. Obviously, people have a view that Rio is is full of carnival, and having that success behind you as well, it must have felt amazing. Yeah, I think that's the that's the best thing about the Olympics, or one of the best things, is that a lot of athletes for unless it's kind of maybe a world champs or major competitions, but even then, you don't could go that crazy afterwards you know there's always another goal there's always another objective um you know if you've just done walk up to europeans there's always something on the horizon which you have to kind of refocus and re re switch back on for whereas with the olympics it's the pinnacle for everyone there's there's nothing bigger there's nothing afterwards so everyone can kind of really relax for, for a decent period of time it's not you know maybe celebrate for one night and then fly home you have the luxury of being able to stay out there for a while so that experience as a whole was was unbelievable, you know, it's, and it's not just that, it's all the stuff which comes afterwards, especially with winning a gold medal out there. Um, you know, you get invited to all these different parties and events and yeah, you do, you do, uh, you do enjoy yourself and it's, it's a really <laughs> special, it's a really special environment. And, you know, if I, if I had a choice, um, I would have much preferred London to be in 2016 so I could have competed at home games, but after that, I think Rio's not a bad one to go to. So I was, I was very happy. I can imagine. But after that, how did it feel to, um, to come back home again and land in, in probably slightly drearier UK um, with, without the carnival atmosphere? Was that a bit of a, a bump back down again? Were you straight back into training afterwards? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so at the time, I'd, I'd signed my contract for Team Sky, uh, which is obviously now Team Ineos. Um, I'd signed that back in 2015, always kind of with the agreement that I do the Olympics with Team Wiggins and um, and then switch across to the road and do a couple of races with them for the back end of 2016 before joining officially in uh, 2017. So I always had the road in kind of the back of my mind. You know, like, like I was saying there, again, even after the Olympics, within I think I spent one week in Rio and then I was back to the UK and kind of refocusing then on the road and trying to get back into some kind of training routine and and yeah trying to get fit again but it was it was a bit of a shock to the system coming from a very sunny Rio you know sipping cocktails on Copacabana and and relaxing to being back in Manchester and slogging around the peaks for four hours in the rain. Yeah I mean you cyclists you you work incredibly hard um, on the road and and as well as as Olympians you've obviously got that four-year cycle that that you train to to peak at, at the right time Obviously, with Tokyo being postponed a year now, um, I understand you were hopefully due to go out for the road race there. How did it feel during that whole process of were they going to go ahead, were they not going to go ahead? Um, and how did you plan around that with the uncertainty? Yeah, so for me, it was, um, you know, obviously I was hoping that I could uh, go to the Olympics for the road race. 
um, in Tokyo. But 2016 was like the real big focus. That's what, you know, for four years I was really focused on that. Whereas on the road side of things, the, the Olympics is kind of more of a, a bonus which comes around every four years rather than a specific goal. Um, and, you know, as soon as the coronavirus um, started going and obviously all the uncertainty around sporting events and what was going to happen, um, I think the IOC weren't the best at making a decision and having any clarity for the athletes. Um, but I was I was very grateful actually by the end that they'd actually made the decision. They said, we're not going to, it's going to get postponed a year because <clears throat> for... For me, it wasn't such a big thing this time round, but I've kind of put myself, if, if I was in that situation and this was going to be my first games aiming for the track, that level of uncertainty would just be, it, it would just be hell because, you know, that you have a lot of pressure on yourself to, to keep training, to keep working. And obviously as all the facilities and, and all the other issues that, which are arising, you know, you can't ride the track anymore. You can't go to your gym anymore. So to try and maintain that same level of training, when everything's going on is it's not easy and um, that stress around it so I think it was good that they postponed it but again it's just a very strange time now for everyone no races so it's hard to hard to find motivation because I think a lot of you know professional athletes and elite athletes were we're all very much goal-orientated people so when you don't have set goals it's hard to to reach those same levels yes because you're I mean your 2020 had started really well you you had team Ineos's first win of the year wasn't it on the last stage of the the tour de provence what were you what were your plans for this year what were you hoping that it might have had in store for you yeah so the the big focus for me this year was the early season classics so the the big one day monuments of cycling like Pyro Bay, the tour of flanders um and then switching from that and trying to ride the the giro d'italia so the tour of tour of italy um so the plan was to have a really heavy front end of the year um, you know, I started racing early in January in, in Australia and then my goal was to be at my best for this part of the season which was it was actually on track you know obviously I won the last stage of Provence um, and the signs were good and it's funny actually because I remember being in Australia at the time and when we were flying back through Singapore obviously uh, Covid was a lot more was a lot bigger out, out in China and, and Asia to start with I remember coming back to Singapore and everyone wearing face masks and you kind of, it, it still felt a long, long way away. And then all of a sudden to be then back in, in the UK and racing in Europe and it's starting to impact races um, directly there. It was, it was bizarre, but yeah, it's, it's kind of scuppered quite a lot of things. But at the end of the day, I, I think cycling is a, a small part of, of what's going on and there's all sports kind of suffering and the impacts it's having. Mm. Certainly. And you mentioned that it's difficult to, to keep your motivation going. What do you do to try and get yourself um, to keep training? Are, are there tips and techniques techniques that you use to kind of get out of the house and, and get on your bike or get to the gym? Yeah, it's, 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 I think it's different. Um, obviously, I'm not doing the same, the same training as I would be if I was in my racing season now because it would kind of there's a lot of uncertainty around when we will race again. So it's about maintaining what you have and kind of using this opportunity to work on areas you maybe wouldn't usually have to work on during this time of the year. Um, so fortunately, I managed to get a home gym installed um, so I can do a lot of gym work here. But I think you just have to be positive about the situation. My, we're very fortunate at Team Ineos that 
you know, we're still getting paid our full salaries. Um, so I'm still, I'm still employed to, to train or race. So it's still my job to make sure I do my training, do everything to the letter and make sure I'm ready to race. Um, and then personally, I kind of, I guess I'm kind of seeing it as an opportunity also, um, because, you know, everyone will handle this situation differently. So it's kind of, if I can make the best of this situation and carry on training to the, the best of my ability and, and look after myself as best as possible, that when the racing does resume, I can be ready and I can kind of take advantage of that and be in the, in the best shape possible. And you mentioned um, Team Ineos there. Obviously, cycling is an interesting sport because it is a team sport, but it very much celebrates individual success. Um, have, is, have Team Ineos managed to keep that team spirit going? I saw you've been doing some virtual races against each other, but can you keep that togetherness despite the fact that you're spread out probably quite a long way around the world, I expect? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one because you get used to seeing once the racing season kicks in, um, you're kind of racing 70, 80 days a year, you have training camps, so you're always all over the place and you're, you're meeting up with all the other riders, all the other staff. So it's difficult now for everyone being completely separated and no one really knowing when we're going to be back on the road together. But one thing which has been really good actually is um, obviously we have a fair few different WhatsApp groups and stuff like that. And we have a full team WhatsApp group and, you know, there's been quite a lot of challenges thrown down in there and various things like that. But also from um, the team have been quite instrumental in Ineos's uh, pledge to help the various hospitals of France and the UK with supplying them with hand sanitizer um, and the team has been quite instrumental in that in terms of the distribution um, and helping manage that project so it's 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 gives something for everyone still to get behind and you know to chip in with different things to help out with so it kind of helps that that unity stay together and like you mentioned we also did the Zwift race um, again it's it's something which kind of just keeps us connected and and uh, and motivated I guess. In a way, I guess some of it is, is changing that focus. So if you're working all together towards something, it doesn't matter maybe what it is so much. It's more the fact that you're working towards a common goal altogether. Yeah, 100%. I think it's, like I said, it's just that, that feeling of unity as one team um, and everyone moving in the, the same direction and everyone being on the same page. Um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, but the kind of the main focus is that we all do what we can now to make sure that when racing does resume and some kind of form of normality resumes, that we're ready to, to take advantage of that and, and be there to the best of our ability. And you're normally around a lot of people in cycling. I mean, you live in quite close proximity to people, particularly when you're, you're racing and you're all sharing hotels and things. Do you generally cope well on your own as you're kind of in that self-isolation at the moment, the quarantine, are you, are you quite fine on your own or do you much prefer being with people? Um, I, I think I can, I'm a bit of both to be honest, I can handle, I always find when I'm really, really focused on a goal and really motivated and it's kind of getting to the crunch time, I, I almost enjoy that kind of monk-like existence and that kind of self-isolation, you know, whether that's going up to an altitude camp and spending two weeks at the top of a mountain with two, three other people and you don't see anyone else except your coach and your um, and a training partner or something like that, you know, that kind of pure focus, that no distractions. Um, so for some things I can, but again, it's it's all around when you have a focus and a goal. So it does make it difficult then um, to be kind of locked away. You know, if, if, if someone could say 100% 
your first race will be in two months' time. Um, whatever happens is going ahead, and it's, it's a guaranteed set thing. Then it's quite easy to focus. But when it's we could be racing in August, we could be racing in September, we could not race at all. That's what makes it a lot more difficult. Um, but overall, I'd say, yeah, as a as as an individual, I, I don't mind the isolations too much. But there's a limit for everyone, I, I think. Yeah. So it's, for you, do you use um, shorter term goals? Because, as you say, that longer term goal is is so evasive at the moment. and We don't quite know when it can be and that might keep shifting. Is it something that you can do to use shorter term goals to keep yourself going? Yeah, I think it has to be. Um, and, you know, whether that's that's day to day stuff, um, I kind of I'm a very goal orientated person. I like to have plans and um, and set objectives. And like I said, short-term goals and, and day-to-day goals are really important at the minute to, just to get through stuff. Um, you know, I, I set, when we, we first went into lockdown, I sat down with my coach and we said we'd do a, a four-week block um, where we do quite a lot of work, even though I'm not racing. And then we'd have a rest week, so you kind of straight away, you've got a month target there. And within that week, you have different um, different smaller goals to hit, whether that's a certain weight in the gym or be a certain weight myself when I wake up in the morning and it's just about kind of box ticking in a way um, and just taking that small bit of satisfaction and, and using that to focus then on the, on the next project and yeah not look too far ahead because I think if you're if you're sitting down you're going well potentially I'm not you're not going to be racing for for four months say that's quite a daunting thought so to break it down into well let's get through this week let's get through this month then reassess reevaluate and just keeps you kind of ticking over. And do you find routine helpful? Do you have a set routine per day, or do you very much wake up in the morning and, and see what you fancy? No, I, I, I'm a, I have to have a routine, otherwise I'll go stir crazy. It's, it's, it's one of the bizarre things. So as in a normal year, you know, we'd obviously race from January probably through till September, um, and then you have your kind of off-season period, which is can be anywhere from four weeks to, to six weeks, where... You know, you don't, you don't want to ride your bike. You don't have to. You have no routine, and that's that's great. After two or three weeks, you almost long for that that routine and that structure again. Um, so for me, I kind of try and stick to everything. You know, always trying to be out on the bike by ten. Um, always upload my training files by a certain time. I need that structure and that routine to to kind of for this to feel normal, I guess. Mm. Yeah, because we are obviously in a in a very unnormal situation. No one's really ever done this before. So um, I think it'll be interesting to see how we come out of it generally. And I think people's working patterns and, and lives will, will generally change. What positives of this situation have you taken out that you might want to actually take forward and, and you'd probably keep as a as a habit? Um, what, one thing I, I have to say is that during this period, I'd usually be racing and I'd usually be really busy and all over the place. But this has actually given me a lot more time to to come back and spend more time with my family. Um, mm. So I, I made the decision to come back down to Cardiff and quite a lot of my, my family did. So my brother's in the house at the minute, my parents as well. So it's it's a really nice opportunity to spend a lot more time with them. Um, and I think also just you, now because people can't go out and see people, there's such more of a focus and a push on on keeping in contact with people. So I'm probably speaking to people who I haven't spoken to a long time, a lot more. Um, and I think, yeah, I think moving forward, 
not so much in terms of sporting, but just in terms of life is is making that effort to keep in contact with people. Yeah, I do. I'd agree with that. I think that's. I think in any of these sort of situations, you need to make sure that you find the positives in them um, because it is unusual. But there are certainly things that that we should remember from this situation. And I, I agree. Spending time with your your family and friends and keeping in contact is certainly one of those. Um, well, thank you so much for your time today, Owen. I really appreciate it. I do hope that you you get to achieve some of your goals this year and that the cycling season does start again at some point. Um, so very good luck to what you do get to do um, for the rest of the year. We'd also like to thank you and your team again for donating your fee to the NHS. It's really appreciated, I'm sure, by all those working on the front line to, to help save lives. But thank you very much for joining us. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Please note, this audio content is produced by Rothschild & Co for information purposes only, and any reliance on the information provided in it is done at your own risk. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild & Co. The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation, or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund, or any other banking or investment product. Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort, and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the fairness or accuracy of it. The value of investments, and the income from them, can go down as well as up, and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance.